This episode is brought to you by cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit jiffylube.com. Hello and welcome back to the Stadio podcast on Ring FC. I'm Musa Wakonga. I'm Ryan Hun. Ryan, how are you doing? Steady away. Thanks, Musa. How are you, dude? I'm good. I'm hydrated. You're looking quite hype. I'm not going to lie. I don't know why. There's no particular reason why I should be hyped, actually. I think it's just because <laughs> I've had my first fully relaxed fortnight. I know I've not been on holiday, but I've just basically taken a priority of like, don't gun everything. Don't go wild on the workload the next, that's the last sort of two weeks. And yeah, I'm just feeling quite fresh and relaxed. So yeah, it's good. Lovely. Yeah, it is good. Lovely. Well, I'm glad. Life is short. Do we have any admin to do? Maybe check out ringer.com forward slash soccer for an upcoming piece of yours. Oh yeah, which on, is related to our first question. Yeah, on manager's sartorial choices. So let's actually leap straight in. Yeah, let's go into it. So basically, we are going to recap the semifinals of the Champions League. But We kind of thought everyone's seen them and they weren't super, super duper dramatic. So we put questions out and we thought we'd let the, the questions kind of shape where we go. Let's maybe begin with RB Leipzig PSG because I logged into Twitter to find a number of people and everyone who did I love you just tagging me in a, about <laughs> Nagelsmann's, like anything to do with Nagelsmann's suit or anything that anyone has written about Nagelsmann's suit uh, I was tagged in, which I'm not going to lie. It made me feel quite wholesome. It was just, oh, my work here is done. It's crossed over. Do you know what this feels like? It feels like when, because you've been talking about this for like ages, right? You've been talking about what managers wear for ages and so much debt. I just, it just fascinates me. It's always fascinating. You know, I would compare it to this. Is a, you're going you're to hate me for this comparison because you'll think I'm being trivial. But You're going to big me up here. It's like when, you know, Black Lives Matter protests at their peak. And like I was on Instagram and I was getting all these responses to my posts. Don't look at me like that. It's not. And like I, I said to my friends, I said, I'm not saying anything new, but my posts are getting way more engagement than before. Like 
this is just my niche interest. This is yeah, my um, niche interest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm not going to lie. The move to the ringer helped to helped us to spread the good gospel of the uh, manager sartorial nonsense. But um, I want to shout out Holly Balleen, who <laughs> just reposted a picture of Nagelsmann's suit, just saying paging Stadio. And we responded from the Stadio account saying, oh, it's on the agenda. <laughs> on the agenda. So to be fair, you've been telling me to write something about this for ages. For ages. For ages. And I was like, oh, I'm not, no, I don't think people really care. For it's just ages. Us. It, it has been ages. <laughs> and I was, well, I would always just say, oh, I don't really think people, people don't really care about it. It's just our weird thing. No one cares. No one cares. And then when I saw the explosion of football journalists with hundreds of thousands of Twitter followers going in on like sartorial theories, I was like, no, enough's enough. This gets written and this gets written now. It does. It does. Has to be done. Has to be done. Has to be done. I mean, depending on when you listen to us, it might be up. It's going up uh, later today. We're recording Thursday morning Berlin time. It should be up Thursday afternoon Berlin time. So theringer.com forward slash soccer. And it's a brilliant piece. <laughs> Thanks, Brad. That's very brilliant. kind of you. It's a bit silly, but it's yeah, all that 100% like that. serious. Yeah, all that stuff's like that. But it's 100% serious. Yeah. You can't prove that managers' sartorial choices have a, you know, a plus minus of like points won or lost. You just can't prove it. But so, of course, yeah, but, but they do because look, here's the thing. Even us, like we dress certain ways for certain events. When I teach poetry or I teach literature in schools, I think so carefully about what I'm going to wear. I think really carefully. Mm. So what I, what I basically end up wearing is basically a, that's where the Rollnet thing came from because it's like the dress code is benevolent, stern, approachable uncle. That's the whole dress code. Someone is going to be thinking about it for a long, long time. And that's Julian Nagelsmann because this was a, I think it's wild. And I actually wrote this in the piece that this became the big narrative of the evening mm. in a game where you had one club financially backed by a drinks brand, massively circumvented the 50 plus one rules in Germany yeah, and is one of the least popular clubs in Germany because of that against a side that is essentially owned by a sovereign state and is essentially part of this massive sports washing problem. Yeah. Let's move on to on the pitch stuff. Uh, this one from Sincletica on Twitter. She said, it is hard to define the stylistic beauty of Tuckle. What makes his team attack and play in transition in this idiosyncratic way? Now, I'm a fan of Tuckle. Yeah. Wanted him at Arsenal, actually before Emery took over. And the thing that I love about Thomas Tuchel is that obviously he had some problems at Dortmund fell out with the hierarchy. He wasn't particularly happy with like Sven Mizentat being on the bench and all of this kind of stuff. And I get that, you know, I get that, you know, not everyone has to get along with everyone. But what I really like about Thomas Tuchel is that he seems to be, I think it's easy to draw comparisons to Jurgen Klopp because they had a very similar career trajectory. Both started at Mainz, both moved from Mainz to Dortmund then both moved from Dortmund abroad. But I remember reading a piece about Tuchel once about how he has this really amazing way of being a really good man manager, really good with players on a human and emotional level, really seems to get them. But also how he used to, and I can't remember where I read this, and so my, my details might be a little bit foggy, so apologies if so, but I read somewhere that he used to, I'm not sure if he still does, but I think it was at Dortmund, he used to make training sessions overly stressful because he realized then or his aim was that when players would step into a match environment it would actually be less stressful than his training sessions so they would find it so they would find it easy but if you think about it it's an amazing oh my god it's so stressful but again it 
You know what it is? It's interesting. It relies so much on, I actually think Klopp and Tuchel are quite different. It's weird. Given that they come to the same club, it'd be hard to imagine two more different managers. Who've oh come yeah, to the yeah, same. yeah. Does that make sense? It's, as, as yeah. I, know, I know that you know that. I think what it requires in both cases, Klopp and Tuchel is unbelievable amount of buy-in to your methods. Mm. And I mean, you saw this, sorry to jump in, but you saw this with Tuchel's departure from Dortmund. I think it yes. was ultimately that few people didn't really like, he, you know, famously didn't get along with Mats Hummels. Yes. And that was one of the main reasons. I think there were a few people, a few of the senior players at Dortmund just weren't really into it at all. And you've seen that with his struggles at PSG as well, actually. He really, he had a real tough first season trying to figure out that dressing room. Yeah. It's all very quiet now. It is very quiet. Um, and also because he's, he's proven himself, he's proven the methods and he's actually doing, it's weird. It's hard to assess to a call, but he's doing a brilliant job. It's hard to assess that. It is really because how it's do you PhD. assess it? How do you assess it with someone who's got so much money and you know, endless resources? How can they still perform? But he's performing. And to answer this, the question about what he does, it's funny how he always has within his attack, he's got like a creative link man. And like, not mm. to say they don't all link the play, but Di Maria is as important to him as Mkhitaryan was. And you can swap out a lot of people in that front six, but Di mm. Maria is absolutely essential. Yeah, well, Kunle Ajayo tweeted at us saying, is Di Maria actually underrated? I think yeah. you've said this quite a lot this season. I've said this, I mean, yeah, I mean, but you look at all those big performances, Di Maria's like, um, I was watching a silly Netflix movie recently and there's this kind of like avenging warrior who's basically lived throughout thousands of years and like Charlize Theron plays her and she's basically like just in all these tapestries across history. And Di Maria's just like, if you look through like the history of the Champions League, he just pops up everywhere. He's like in every defining frame where there's a big game involved. He's there with a goal or an assist. And you look at like even the World Cup, the latest stages, Argentina beating Switzerland, Di Maria pops up. Mm. Decisive. You look at Argentina, France, to me, the best game of the 2018 tournament. And the only reason that France prevailed is because Mbappe basically went to warp drive because Di Maria was lights out. Di Maria basically about like, such a funny player about 40 minutes into the game was like, I'm going to go and roast Pavard and went and did it <laughs> for like a good half hour. So there's, I mean, what Tickle, li- Tickle likes, um, having his creative link man. So he's got like a Katarian at Dortmund. He has that with a PSG. He uses width obviously brilliantly and he loves the aggressive pass into feet, the aggressive early pass into feet. So Marquinhos, who oh. blew me away, the quality of his passing has blown me away. You could argue he was PSG's best player the last two games. Um, and the speed of transition. So, you know, what he saw in Marquinhos, because Marquinhos was, I think, signed as a centre-back, but then moved into midfield and like, this is the thing as underrated. It is extremely difficult to play centre midfield and centre-back to a world-class level in the Champions League. Like very few players have done it. Pepe has done it, Real Madrid. Um, uh, Xavi Martinez has done it, but very, very, very few players can play a creative role in midfield and the centre-back role. I don't even, I can't even remember, to be honest, um, Ryan, I can't remember a player who's done it better than Marquinhos. I don't just mean like defensive midfield screening, I mean actually playing progressive passes on the front foot into the final third before. I mean, there was a, there was a period where Javier Mascarano was, whilst being an absolute brute in midfield, was also quite underrated at progressing yes. play. Yes, 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 yes. And then obviously transition to a centre-back fully at, at, at Barcelona. Yeah, it's, it's hard to do both. And mm. 
it's amazing that, you know, I think it is a feature of this tournament that requires comment that Marquinhos has done it to such a level mm. because he's been outstanding. Yeah, I agree. Um, and Marquinhos, who is still only 26, <laughs> that has been around for 25 years. Well, he has, he's literally been around for 26, but not yeah. in football. Marquinhos is a good example of how Tuchel likes to play on the front foot. You could actually maybe say like a kind of like Weigel type character. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, I mean, he's got. I think he's a little in bit. The, in terms of the passing, he's more robust. Yeah, he's, a, he's a little bit nippier. Um, also, there was a weird thing in the Atalanta game where he just decided to go number nine. <laughs> we were watching uh, it. Do you remember? And I was just like, "Who is that up front?" Like I was like, "Who's like?" Because there was something, you know, when say for example, there's a moment where a centre forward may pull wide, but it's against like a deep block, and they'll maybe link the play with someone, and they realise that they need to get in the box, and they just peg it straight into the box. Yes. Someone did that in the Atalanta game and I think it was about 15, 20 minutes to go and I was like, who is that? And I was like, turned around and I was like, it's fucking Marquinhos. I love Just being this. like, mixer, mixer. <laughs> Do you wonder if PK goes to like the Barcelona like hierarchy and goes, look at this, Marquinhos is doing this. Why can't I have my... It's not what the actual F is going on enough for, for PK. Yeah. But literally my favourite thing, I think, in football. So Barcelona are breaking forward. And all of a sudden, PK is the furthest man forward. Why is PK breaking forward in the third minute of a game when it's nil-nil? Bombing on, yeah. You can just imagine, like, it's that, I don't know if you ever had this low-level football, but there would, if it was something like Sunday League or you were playing a seven-a-side game with friends and you were playing centre-back with someone, because I would occasionally dip into centre-back. quite like playing centre-back, actually. And you're playing with someone who just wants to bomb forward and they're like, cover me and then they're gone we had the guy that did that we had a guy did that and actually to be honest it was great but the problem was that he eventually ended up making himself into a centre midfielder because he loved it so much yeah well there you go but anyway yeah. yeah PK bombing forward in the third minute of the game for absolutely no reason whatsoever one of the best sights in football um, but anyway we've wandered all over the place here so let's take a quick break and then we'll come back and do a little bit more focused stuff let's do it This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. All right, we're back from the break. Right, let's talk about Lyon because they had their chances early on against Bayern, but ultimately you just saw the massive golfing quality. I thought it was quite interesting how both semifinals were super routine compared to what happened in the quarters. Let's talk about them because they wouldn't have expected to go this far. I think that they've not quite been, say, like the Ajax of, of this year because, well, they just haven't, I don't think. And also we haven't had as much time to get to know them and enjoy them in the knockout phases because it's only been one leg because obviously they've got this far with some of the best young players and prospects in Europe. Mm. Um, you know, for example, Rayan Cherky came on 17 years old, the youngest player to ever play in the Champions League knockout stages. That's incredible. That's, that's, that's just happened now. Actually. Yeah. We had a question from Caracom. Do Leon have the best academy in Europe? Also, please, please talk about our, Oh my goodness. Compare him to other players, past and present. Analyze and intellectualize his brilliance. Create analogies for his performance. Play the hits. <laughs> wow. Okay. So um, best young academy. I would actually say it's still Dortmund. They're still up there. 
I think Dortmund. I think it's definitely up there. I think I think yeah. the, the the best quote unquote young academy around. I think is hard to yeah identify at the moment. If I'm being honest, because actually we don't know the best. The best academy is probably in like the Italian second division, and it's probably like one where there's just absolutely no money spent on the club. And there's a bunch of young people just doing astonishing things. Like it's probably out, it's probably not on our radar. Like mm. if, if, if we're looking at the best academy in relation to the resources put into it and what comes out of it, so that, that's, me, that's not me trying to be hipster. It's just like in terms of what an academy does, because clubs like Dortmund do have the pick of the talent and clubs like Leon have the pick of the talent. Mm. Um, but Leon are certainly outstanding. But on the hour thing, um, and shout out to Kakare as well. Kakare, another brilliant midfielder mm. alongside our, um, his ability. Okay. They're going to hate me for this. Our's ability, now his desire to receive the ball in possession and then escape. Here we trouble. go. I'm just going to hang on. Okay. Let me just light a cigar. I'm not going to mention them in the same breath, but that same desire to receive the ball when surrounded by men and then draw them and then escape from that gap and draw space. That was Iniesta. I was going to say, get to the drop already. It's Iniesta. That's, the, but, but that, that's what it reminded me of. Mm. There were, there's so many times he'd receive the ball surrounded by three men on either flank. And he didn't do it, actually. He, it was really responsible. You know, he didn't try that at home. He was very responsible. He, he drew players out to the flank and then escaped trouble. And his movement, his economy of movement, his touch, his passing, to hit the pass before the, the windows of opportunity closed is extraordinary. An unbelievable player, actually. I could just watch his highlights. Actually, I did. I watched a lot of our highlights when I heard that Liverpool linked with him. Mm. And then I was like, yeah, see, that's why they're relaxed about getting someone like Thiago, because they know there are players like our out there who are much younger. They can go after for a fraction of the price. Yeah, and I think actually in terms of style, I would actually think Awar is a better fit for Liverpool. I think Thiago, not wanting to go off the topic too much, but I think if you put, if Liverpool sign Thiago, he will instantly be their best midfielder, I think. Right. If you're going to compare everyone's skill sets in that Liverpool midfield, you'd probably say that, well, you'd say that Thiago is the best, I think. Mm. And, but it would give them a different way of playing. Yeah. And there might be some teething problems there because he doesn't completely fit with how Liverpool have been playing under Klopp but it gives them another dimension, which they will probably have to face next season, you know. So, which you wrote in that brilliant piece for The Ringer, by the way. But I think, I think with our, the thing that I find really impressive about him actually is he never seems to be at full sprint. Yes. He never seems to be in a hurry. Yes. He never seems to be panicked. He plays with the maturity of someone who has been there and done it. You even saw it with some of the Ajax lot last season that in that semi-final when they needed a calm head they were seconds away from getting to the final last season and that was the difference I think like someone not having enough I mean they had an older squad than everyone gave them hype for basically but still there was a little you saw that little bit of an experience there and I'm not saying that Awar is obviously a super, super experienced guy to the level that Iniesta was when he left Barcelona, for example. But he strikes me as someone who is just like, no, you know, don't worry. This is, we're good. We're good. You know, you it's know not going to phase him no matter if he's done it or not, you know? Do you know what this actually reminds me? This is, um, 
this is, this is a bit of a hipster reference, but it's Stadio, so what the hell. He reminds me of, um, if you go and watch Brazil's fourth and final goal in the 1970 World Cup against Italy, Clodoaldo, who starts the move, yeah. beats a few people on the dribble and then like relays it off. That's a nice shout, actually. And the reason I like that, um, what, that passage play from Clodoaldo is because he'd been holding that back the entire tournament. Like mm-hmm. his, his entire tournament, he'd never gone and made a run like that. And he'd seen the play before him and the run was kind of like, he wasn't just going on safari. He was like, he saw that actually the logical way to build the play was doing that. Yeah. And knowing that he had that ability and holding back, and that's what Awa does. He has the ability. He, he can operate in the final third. If you played him as a kind of withdrawn forward, if you had to play, I'm sure Pep would love to work with a player like Awa. He'd love to. Um, yeah. yeah, he'd love to. Who wouldn't? Um, he has the technical ability and the passing ability in the final third you know, to finish and to attack as, a, as an attacking forward. But he has the discipline to sit back and let it play out. Yeah, that's, that, that to me is someone who is supremely confident in their own ability. Yeah. Is that almost they're, they're okay with going unnoticed throughout the entire game. Yeah. In fact, a lot of my favourite players are like that because that to me is someone who really knows that this is a team sport. Does that make sense? So it's like, actually, I don't need a highlight reel because my highlight reels are actually really boring because sometimes the most important things are on the football pitch. Do you know what? It's so funny. I felt like um, I almost sent a tweet during the game. I wish I had actually saying, look at Thiago and concentrate on how long you keep your eyes on him because there's a very good chance he'll drift out of focus unless you're actually looking for him mm-hmm. because the things he's doing will not require your urgent attention unless yeah. you're looking for them. And I think that's, it's true of Tiago, it's true of Awa. Um, there are a number of players, I think, that when you see them live in the stadium and you can actually watch them independent of a TV angle, yeah. you develop a completely different appreciation of them. Tiago is an example. Like the first time I saw him live, I honestly couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe it. And I've seen him a few times live now. Last time I saw him live was when Bayern came to Hertha this, uh, last season. And he's just unbelievable. Like I, I made a point of watching him for about half an hour, just him. And there is so much that he does that you just never get on a TV camera, on a TV screen, and you just never pick it up by watching TV. And I remember actually, I'm sorry, this is, you know, it's like you're redondo. I'm going to me- mention Meza Ozil. So anyone playing the Meza Ozil drinking game, now's your time. Um, but I remember my dad had real issues about Ozil in his first season. And then we went to the... Everton game in the FA Cup quarterfinal was the first yeah. time my dad had seen Mesut Ozil live and he walked away from there and he was just like holy shit I get it my god and actually Ozil scored in that game as well but this is the thing I think that so much of what certain players do and I think Awa fits into this and I actually think Iniesta fits into this as well even though Iniesta is beloved as a footballer I still think that there are certain skill sets of his that he doesn't get enough praise for weirdly he's one of those incredibly rated, but is he actually underrated? He is. He is underrated. Do you know yeah. why? There's, okay, so one very quick Urzel example and two very quick Iniesta examples. So the Urzel example always blows me away is the fact he basically played left wing for much of the 2014 World Cup yep. and his pass completion was off the scale mm-hmm. and his job was basically just to keep the ball while the rest of the team caught up with him in the final third then Germany built their attacks against yep. the deep block. That blew me away. Then there's the two Iniesta examples where when Spain beat, I think was a Turkey 3-0 in the Euros, um, and he basically receives the ball in the fullback position and plays mm. three phases of play and then ends up playing the final pass to Morata, who scores. 
And Iniesta has basically carried, he's basically like orchestrated the entire game. Mm. And the reason that move works is because everyone knows Iniesta is not going to lose possession. So when he gets the ball, everyone moves up. The final example is when I went to see them play and Ter Stegen would give the ball to Iniesta and Iniesta would go back to the left back position. Yeah. Iniesta would go back to the left centre back position and get the ball off Ter Stegen because when you're playing out from the back, who does that? How many players, how many teams in world football have a, 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 a central midfielder going deep into the penalty area, like next near the six yard box to receive possession and play out? You know who did do that? Frankie Dong at Ajax. There you, well, this is, okay, give him the keys. Give him the give keys, Give him the damn man. keys. Yep. You, I mean, he did it in the Champions League. There were times yeah. in like the Champions League where he would drop, he'd be, uh, there was one, I think it was, I think it was at the Bernabeu. He was left back. Often, bit. often. Yes, yes. Second half. I think it was second half. Yeah, it was second half. And he would drop in. No, I think it was the end of the first half. And all of a sudden he's in the left back position and he waits and he waits and he waits and there's no one around him. And if he loses the ball, it's a straight line to goal. He plays a pass, he gets it back. All of a sudden, Ajax are in Real Madrid's final third. Like that. Frankie de Jong is an absolute master. And I mean master. I, I think this season, actually, people have forgotten how great this, this kid is. Yes, they have. They have. Clearly have. He is an absolute master at getting you from A to B, aka the edge of your penalty box to the edge of the opposition's penalty box in three passes. Yes. And do you we'll know who else was in. like that? And yeah. this is actually a good, I think, there, I think there are little similarities here with our Santi Cazorla. The skill yes. set of Santi Cazorla that was massively underlooked. The speed, of mo- the, the speed of moving the ball without being quote-unquote direct, if that makes sense. Yes. Santi was a master at that. Frankie Diong is unbelievable at that. Awar, is, 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 I think, is really good. And I think Awar this season, I think he's going to get better as well, personally. Yeah, he will. I agree. I think his ceiling is extraordinary. And mm. I'd be surprised if, I mean, Bayern are already deep at that position, so they won't need, they've got so much at that, that, that spot. But I'd also see, I'd be surprised if a club like that had not had a look like, or just had a quick thought about it. Like he's got to be in a lot of radars. And I think he would have been there for what, a while. What Bayern would tend to spend money on, I don't think they would spend money on, on someone well, like that. Well, no, because they've got Kimmich. They've got like someone doing that work. They've got someone who can play these kinds of... Yeah, not, although I actually think yeah. like Kimmich, Kimmich plays the, played the Leon game at right back and Kimmich has been really impressive in midfield when he's played this season. But that Bayern midfield of Leon Goretzka and Thiago, I think is their best balanced yeah. midfield, their most balanced midfield. And also he's an unbelievable right back. Like yeah. Pavar has been in there this season. I actually, I like Benjamin Pavar, but I, this Bayern lineup, how they've been playing recently, it's like the, uh, like how the Warriors used to have the, like the death lineup. Flick isn't stupid. Flick will have thought about this. Well, Flick's played midfield for Bayern. But, he, like, but, but here's the thing. Flick will be aware of what the loss of Thiago will do. Um, and I know that they beat Dortmund in that game uh, in the, decide, the title decide. I know that happened and I know that Flick will be aware of that, but he will be thinking... We can win the Bundesliga with Kimmich in midfield and Pavard at right back. But for the Champions League, we'll need to like skill up. So actually, weirdly, I would still look at our in relation to Bayern because I think he fills that gap. Um, I mean, he could play there. I think, he could, I, he think could. He's, I yeah. think he's a little bit better as a kind of a little bit further forward. I agree. Although with the amount of possession that Bayern enjoy. Yeah, true. You know what I mean? And I think he, yes, I, I think that's an interesting, God, I love, I just love talking about Awa. I mean, he's great. Yeah. But one of the things about the Champions League that I like is that you almost have like a, you could do like a class of 2020 
and a class you of could. 2019 about like three or four young players who really burst onto the scene or become part of the wider conversation. Honestly, one of my favorite things about the tournament, because even though we try and watch a hell of a lot of football, we do watch a lot of football across multiple leagues. It's really good seeing players that you've only maybe caught a handful of times that season, seeing them play Manchester City and Bayern and gauging a player on their performances against those sides that you watch a hell of a lot of. Yeah. Is one of my favorite things about the Champions League. I love watching them. I love watching players, especially, this is why I love this like compressed tournament format, because you're watching players find solutions. There's a guy I used to play with um, over here. Shout out to Nico Yersh at the Unicorns. I'd always say to Nico for every game, I was like, find solutions, find solutions. Mm -hmm. Because he played defensive bin. He was brilliant at it. And watching our crack multiple puzzles against mm. these two teams in succession that play very differently was, was amazing, actually. Mm. Um, and what I want to say quick about these semifinals, they did actually follow a slightly similar pattern, both of them, just as an overall yeah. theme. It felt like watching a tennis semi, a t- it felt like watching a Grand Slam tennis, like where both <laughs> semifinals are in straight sets. Yeah. And early in both matches, you know, like those tennis matches, there's the kind of the plucky underdog who's come really, really far, but actually runs out of steam. Mm. And they both had the, the moment where they could have broken serve. And with the Leipzig game, it was the Paulson miss. Mm, and he missed yeah. that. And, and you knew, you knew, yeah. you knew that was it. It was done. And Leon had a moment, they hit the post and then like... Yeah, Memphis Depay. Oh no, he didn't hit the post, but he had that chance really, really early on where he broke through and he just kept his head down. Yes. And if, if, he, if Depay had his head up, Depay yeah. would have known they could have gone under Neuer. The ball could have, yeah. he could have been under... But Neuer is so good at spreading with the arms that all Depay had to do was hit the ball under him. Well, all, all he in, needed to do from there just chip him because he was so far out at the time yeah. he got his head up and saw how far Neuer was off his line absolutely um, yeah. and that moment I mean the, Leon at the post and, and um, which actually the, the, the post wasn't a bad miss in itself that was no. actually a good effort uh, and it was like these early opportunities to break serve and then it was like straight sets mm. and I said you know I tweeted it in the um, the Leipzig game I tweeted it in the, the, the Leon game as I'm now calling them I just said look Leipzig can afford, can't afford to miss chances and PSG can. And that's mm. really what it comes down to. And this is the thing, if Lyon or Leipzig had had a kind of like young Etu, like an undiscovered, a young Etu, they would have, I think they could have prevailed. Mm. And these are the margins. This is the Champions League. Like even with all the kind of economic mismatches, the financial differences, you can still prevail. And I will say just a quick shout out to, to Lyon because that is a club. If you look at a model for how a club is run in Europe, there was a moment when Mbappe, I think I mentioned, he tweeted like Farmers League. And I was like, well, Leon are about as far as you get in Europe running a club, I think, as well as you can. The women's side, the men's side, within your means, great academy. So yeah, just a big fan of it. Yeah, I mean, Shout they were one me. of the, the first teams in Europe to really, really prioritise the women's side about a decade ago. Yeah. And... If you invest in your women's side, you can be really successful and you can increase the level quite dramatically rather quickly. And can I have a quick shout out to Jason Denier? Because um, you may. Actually, that's, it just occurred to me that um, Denier is a great name for a defender. Um, I always, I whenever I hear the name Jason Denier, I always think of, um, uh, it's either Denier or Denier. I'm not too sure. Yeah. I can see his album cover. Yeah. Well, this is the funny thing. I think actually, I think he suffered from a bit of appearance bias mm. because Jason Denier was relentlessly attacked 
for both games and gave them nothing. Like he basically gave both teams like world-class attacks and he basically gave them virtually nothing. Apart from the one time that Sterling beat him with a cutback inside. That was it. It's the only time he was exposed by anyone. And his two other centre-backs got yellow cards. And I remember thinking, this is so funny because they have thrown hellfire at this man. They're going, I won't crack. Literally, he did. they didn't draw him out. It was like one of those MCs where everyone's trying to send for him. He, you can't draw him out. He just carries on doing his thing. Like, he was absolutely brilliant. A lot of players came into this and their stock rose as a result. And other players like Michele at right back for Leipzig had maybe more difficult periods. And you see the difficult adjustment. Like Pamakano was brilliant. He really was already good. And we knew how good he was in the Bundesliga, but I'm glad that he got his place in the sun finally. But Jason Denier, for me, give that man an extension. Like that dude, he stood tall. They said, they said in the wire, he stood tall. He's a sol- <laughs> he was a soldier. Uh, we need to take another break. Let's do it. All right, we're back from the break. I like this question from Al Wayne. Who is Musa's quote marks underrated performer jinx tip for the final? <laughs> probably, <laughs> probably a, a centre-back at this point, isn't it? You're going to say Marquinhos? It's probably Marquinhos. Look how much I've praised Marquinhos. What about Paredes? No, it's Marquinhos. I've praised him so much, it's got to be him, unfortunately. I'm so sorry, Marquinhos. Paredes was good, man. He was. I was surprised. Yeah, how would, by just how good. Yeah, that's the thing. I've been surprised by how they've progressed the play. And also, Ander Herrera playing a Champions League semi-final. Yeah, Verratti's still not back. You saw that coming. Mm. I wonder if Verratti's going to be fit for the final. He was on the bench, right, on Tuesday. Mm. I mean, that would be a massive addition if he's fit. Yeah, he's big for them. Launching those quick counters. Bayern got a soft centre there. Well, yeah, we had loads of questions about Bayern's high line. But before we get onto Bayern's high line, I want to talk about this one from Joseph Palmer. He said, is Serge Gnabry's moustache the best in football? It's a timeless and iconic tash, although he's a young man. See, this is the, this is the real question. I might, I'm do, actually, I, might do, I might do my next piece on moustaches. I'm not actually that, I'm not that connected at all cognizant of the moustache community in football, I have to be honest. It's not a special subject. I mean, it's led by William Carvalho. I think he's the, uh, he's the, the, he's the chairman of the board. <laughs> it's the kind of moustache that must be accompanied by a free cigar. It just, yeah, but know. it's like, you know, when like now gradually, because there have been a few more p- players coming through who have started to tuck their shirts in, yeah. it's going to be easier for the next generation. And the moustache thing is the same. William Carvalho is a trailblazer. You're saying he walked so Gnabry could run? Yeah. <laughs> Oh my God. He's a pioneer. I just love William Carvalho. I do have a view on moustaches, which I feel where possible, they should be accompanied by a beard. Uh, yeah. I don't trust something. You know, it's, you know, it's like, it's a bit like when... You didn't say anything when I had a moustache, which is well, you, kind of you were going, every th- two or three weeks yeah, at the moment. You were going through it, so I didn't want to, you know... Going through what? Well, just life. Like, life is tough. So I just thought, well, he's got, he's doing his thing. He's got a moustache. Listen, and- I'm not taking a lecture from a, of a grown man with a goatee. Listen, wow. looks like you're on the way to Flavortown. Wow, wow, uh, wow, uh, wow. Do you know what? Where are the Oakleys? They come at you. Do you know what? Do you know what? It'd be your own people. It'd be your own people. <laughs> hey, listen, <laughs> you say I'm going through it, you're going to go through it. They're in plain sight. Next week, when I see Musa rocking a moustache, I'll be like, it was all worth <laughs> it. They're plain sight. Hey, you've got to be cruel to be kind, man. I love you. I think you'd suit a moustache. It's all part of the plan. The assassin always comes from within your own security detail. There it is. There it is. <laughs> I basically like, Got rid of this goatee once in the last how many, 20 years. And I got rid of the 
beard first and then was going with the moustache. And I was so horrified by the vision of the moustache on my face, just my face just free floating. I then took that off immediately as well. I will never, ever leave the house with a moustache unaccompanied by a goatee. You have my word on that. That is that's that. That's such bad news. That's my energy though. Right. If you're going to go flat cap gang, you can't be doing it with a goatee. You, you have to. You literally have no, to. No, you don't. It's so tried and tested. It's established. It's Morgan Freeman energy. It's Morgan Freeman energy. Yeah, but Morgan Freeman Lester Freeman, Morgan Freeman. Lester Freeman, Morgan Freeman. Yeah, but and Lester... And me. Lester then grew those sideburns, which were... Well, I can't grow those. <laughs> out I've <tried>. of control. <laughs> I've tried to grow the chopper sideburns and I can't. You've just inspired me to go and um, have a shave today. So I'm going to have the moustache back next time I see you. There you go. Because, you if know, you're clearly going through it, Musa. The only thing I'm going through is doing this fucking podcast with you. That's true. That is what I'm going through. <laughs> there he is. So if anyone catches me with a thousand yard stare, it's probably been a bad technical day. <laughs> Just plug it in, Musa. <laughs> <laughs> the things we get away uh, with this podcast. This is, a fo- <laughs> this is a football podcast, honestly. Right. Canabry was very good. Just Mustache aside, that was great. Told you, man. Best surge since Gainsbourg. Yes, best surge. I love that tweet you sent out. Um, in 2019, but we had to re-up it because it was so good. A slight question, slight question here. Gnabry is very, very good at going from right to left. Mm-hmm. Sané arrives, he'll be... Left. Left. So Gnabry will take place of Perisic? No, because Perisic has been playing left when he comes on usually as well. Oh, so Gnabry th- will stay where he is. Straight swap, straight swap. Okay, straight swap. Yeah, because it's weird. Gnabry playing... Gnabry's, yeah, he's much more effective cutting in. Like he's at... Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so Gnabry, so they'll have like one inverted winger and one fully wide. Yeah, I mean, basically that, that, that three behind Lewandowski, if Lewandowski stays, by the way. Dun, dun, dun. Hang on a minute, what's that? Dun, dun, dun. Throwing some spice in there, okay. Sané, Thomas Muller, Serge Gnabry. Yeah, that is, as the Germans say, nicked schlecht. Not at all. So, we, yeah, we had loads of questions about Bayern's high line, how they're going to fare in the final against Mbappe, Neymar, Di Maria. How will they fare? Will they even play a high line? Yeah, they'll play their style. They'll play Bayern. They'll impose themselves because they haven't got this far by being reactive. Mm. And they will trust themselves to plug the gaps. I think mm. it's going to be like that. I mean, look at David Alaba is rapid. You've got the speed to recover and it's just the price worth paying. What's the payoff? The payoff is this. Lewandowski and Müller are not going to have games as quiet as they had against Lyon. It's not going to happen. It doesn't happen back to back. Um, Lewandowski is not going to tread on the ball four yards out. Not going to happen again. Right, so... There was also that thing of that energy conservation at 2-0. The Bayern players are playing within themselves. These are all things that are not going to happen. And the payoff, this thing, yeah, you pay a high line, but it's like, it's like an investment strategy, right? Mm. You speculate to accumulate and that's what they're going to do. So I don't see that being a problem for them. I think you just get too many benefits from, from playing the style they do. And there's Germany, yeah, we said it, like Germany, Algeria, 2014 World Cup. They played that wildly high line. But it worked. And who was the architect of that? Manuel Neuer. Who was one of the architects off the field? Hansi Flick. His hand was in that as well. So he's been playing high lines for years in major tournaments and it's paid off. 
And why did it pay off? Because they occupied that final third and they got those, they got those late goals. They got Ozil, came through with the late, you know, the 96th minute or whatever. And mm. they proceeded. So this is just the kind of Flick's tolerance for risk. It's far, far higher. This thing about high lines as well. It's not a game of chicken. That's a bit reductive. I'm not saying that. But it's a thing where you have to have a stomach for it. And it's bravery. This is the thing. Like the best, I talk a lot about this as a writer. The best artists are just the bravest ones, the ones that go deep. I got a message from my mum recently. She was like, oh, Musa, like when you write, like keep something back. And I'm like, I'm thinking, mum, that's <laughs> not how it works. You don't hold mm. stuff back. And as a coach, you don't hold stuff back. You don't play with fear. And if we look at this tournament so far, the defining characteristic of this knockout phase, and this is why unfortunately Atleti are further from winning this tournament than they've ever been, is that they have coached, the winners have coached and played without fear. Atleti played with fear and it was their downfall. And I thought about this this morning as I woke up, I thought to myself, because this is what I do, I wake up and think about football. I thought to myself, what were Atleti thinking? Like, those late goals came against Liverpool once Liverpool were exhausted and punched themselves out. But that was never going to work in a knockout tournament. You were never going to get to a place where the other team was exhausted. You know, you can do that. You can stalemate someone for 120 minutes over mm. two legs. You can't do that in a knockout. Yeah. Um, so I think what's going to happen is, I'm not going to put a prediction on it because I'm not a fool. <laughs> but I think it's whoever, a really, really, I think whoever's it's a really brave, tough one. Whoever's brave is going to win. Whoever's bravest is going to win this. Yeah, I, I cannot call it actually. Just, I just can't. I, I, I don't really know. Yeah, me neither. Because Neymar, is Neymar going to have three of those in a row? Three bad finishing games in a row? I don't think so. Yeah, I, I have no idea. Thanks to everyone who submitted questions. Uh, we're going to move on a little bit. So it's the UEFA, the UEFA Cup. It's the Europa League final on Friday. Inter against Sevilla. Inter absolutely demolished Shakhtar. That was, where did that come from? I mean, they were so impressive. Lukaku's final goal was the archetypal, stereotypical Lukaku with the urban finish. Yes. <laughs> it really was, wasn't it? Yeah. All of a sudden, Lukaku was just like, pow. Pushed out of his feet and was gone. Some instrumental eight bar came on. <laughs> and he just went. <laughs> he did, yeah. <laughs> he was, wow, he, he got the last two. And Shakhtar, I mean, nervous, actually. I mean, what? Yeah, they looked, really, three, they looked really poor. Maybe I thought, three actually. direct, maybe three goals resulting directly from errors defensively. Yeah. Like, I mean, it's quite similar to the RB Leipzig against PSG, really. There was some nervy playing out from the back from Galassi. Yeah. And they kind of invited pressure. They did. Yeah. 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 So there was anxiety from Shakhtar, but that takes nothing away from what Inter produced. And now we've got a final, which is real, like European footballing aristocracy. Like Inter in the UEFA Cup final, as I still call it Inc. privately. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's, yeah, it'll, it always be, yeah, it'll always to be me. the UEFA Cup to us. There's something quite righteous and everything in its right place about Inter and the UEFA Cup final mm. against, of course, Sevilla, the grand masters of this, this tournament. And again, no predictions. Sevilla have shown their ability to absorb shock. Yeah. Luke de Jong has grown into the Sevilla side. He was a bit of an outlier at the start, as I said in previous podcasts struggled to score, but the link-up play was always good. Now he's adding the finishing touches. The longer the game goes on, the better chance Sevilla have, I think, just because their game management's really, really strong. Yeah, that's exactly what I was going to say. I think if this is an open game, I think Inter will clean up. Mm. I think if it can stay contained and quite tight and goalless for maybe at least the first half to an hour, I think that's where Sevilla will benefit. Because there have been times this season where Inter have really struggled to like unlock teams. Yes. Or... In certain tight games, they've just they've they've dropped a lot of points. They drew a lot of games in the league this season. Yes, 
And I think that's where Sevilla, like we mentioned, Sevilla, they have the third best defence in La Liga this season. So if Inter don't break them down early, well, not early, but I think, the, like you said, the longer the game goes on, if Inter struggle to break them down, I think that's when Sevilla may really start to benefit. Yeah. Um, that's going to be really interesting. But before, I think the, the kickoff is 9pm Central European summertime. Mm. It's 9pm for us, 8pm in the UK. But before that, it's the return of the Women's Champions League. Quarterfinals start on Friday and yeah. there are some massive games. The Atleti against Barcelona on Friday, which I'm really, I'm going to watch that one. I know you're probably going to be watching Glasgow City, Wolfsburg, right? Well, I, my, well, no, I, I don't think I will because that, that is the tie, the Atleti Barca. That's the, you know. Mm. And I think Wolfsburg they should beat They should beat Glasgow. Dem- I think they'll absolutely hammer them, to be honest. Well, they should, they should, but you know. They should do, yeah. Atleti Barcelona, I think, is the, is the tie for Friday. And then Saturday evening, um, the games start at 8pm our time, so 7pm UK time. Two absolutely huge games. Arsenal against PSG and Lyon-Bayern. Quite beautiful to have a Lyon-Bayern, isn't it? Like in both, uh, yeah, both, stages, actually. both stages. Yeah, it's nice. Although, you, you know, the... the the favourites are reversed because Leon are obviously one of the favourites to win the tournament, if not the favourite. Yeah. But I don't think Leon are as strong as they have been in recent years. And again, Bayern have that kind of energy. If you keep them, if the game goes close till late, mm. Bayern have shown they can hang in there. They've got very good, they've got a very good counter to Damjanovic and Islaka are very good on the break. And Islaka in particular scored dangerous goals late on. So if they can hang with Leon, I'm not saying it will be an upset, but there's a potential for something. There's a potential for banana skin there. Mm. And maybe if they can catch Leon cold out the gate, because, you know, it's like a restart. Like if they can catch them cold, this is the thing with the Wolfsburg thing. We just don't know. Like we know they've been training hard, mm-hmm. but you can spring a surprise if a team is like not quite on it. There are some really good previews on The Guardian, actually. I'd recommend going reading people who want to find out more about the teams left in the last eight. And yeah, I, I would just recommend watching, watching the Champions League quarterfinal because I think they're going to be really good games. It's going to be a really good tournament and it obviously goes on another week or so after the men's, the men's Champions League's finished. Yeah. So we'll round those up on Monday along with the Men's Champions League final and the Europa League final. And also football is, you know, like those nature is healing memes. Yeah. Football is healing. It's wild how it's coming back so Everything's coming back. Scottish Premiership, how they're playing football in Brazil, I have no idea. Goodness. But I think the bloody MLS is back. I'm going to get some shit for this. I'm going to come out with a take. I think this should be an official stadio position as well. <laughs> I knew you'd enjoy, I knew you'd warm to it. I knew you'd warm to official stadio. Okay. Is, it, is it fair to say that the official stadio position is that the MLS has no chill? It has no chill. <laughs> it was scared. The MLS was scared to go away. It was scared. <laughs> just like don't you forget about me (laughs) when you walk on they should stop playing right with all of the stuff that's going on at the moment about the national anthem (laughs) the MLS should make everyone stand before the game (laughs) 
in a line, hand on heart, and just play Simple Minds. Don't you forget about me. Exactly. <laughs> the MLS is back. It even called itself the MLS is back. And then, I know, just to make sure they really have it, the message. <laughs> exactly. I'm going to wake up. I'm going to wake up. I wake up in a rocking chair 15 years from now being like, the MLS is back. The MLS is back. Who's <laughs> 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 that guy, that guy, Kurt, Colonel Kurt in like Apocalypse Now going, the horror, the horror. They'd be like, just, the MLS. I keep dreaming of fake crowd noise really highly compressed yes. I wake up and it's just like oh it's people on why am I surrounded by people on Zoom the MLS oh. on the edge of a razor why is there an, Ad, why is there an Adidas logo <laughs> superimposed onto my floor <laughs> uh, we're only messing I just can't what's believe the that the MLS what's is the actually back of now. subliminal marketing superliminal marketing like it's just I have no idea <laughs> but you know like we said before though actually fair play for, to them for managing that tournament accurately or like managing the tournament well they did a pretty good job all things considered and i'm uh i'm, I'm also I'm, can i be harsh on. on us if we're being since we're being so eurocentric with our mockery of the mls back let's also acknowledge that the champions league is back and it's now in a permanent loop because at the same time <laughs> the champions the league qualification for that yeah the same day the quarterfinals are playing we had former European champions celtic and red star belgrade playing qualifiers on the same day for the next tournament same so it's like it's like almost it's like, like it's football inception. It's footballception, exactly. Euroception or whatever, champception. Yeah, honestly, it's all it's all love. We're not hated on Somebody the Somebody said football like, honestly, football around the world is absolutely fucking ridiculous. Someone and said it needs to, to me. just chill for a bit. Someone, Everything needs to chill. I think Do you know what? The weird thing was, everyone, everyone <laughs> listening, what did you and I say when football shut down? We got about a month into lockdown and we went to do a podcast one day and we were just like don't miss football. <laughs> and we do a football podcast and we were like, it's been great not having any football for a month. Yeah, it's so true. It's so true. <laughs> it's so weird. I mean, I love football so much, but sometimes it's just like, can you just leave me be for a bit? I just, you know, I want a day out with my friends. You know, I saw once, I saw this like, I watched a lot of animal videos on YouTube. Do you? Yeah, I do. I love them. And uh, there's one video where you've got like, like five or six husky puppies, right? And yeah. the mum basically climbs, the husky mum climbs on top of the, like, the kennel to get away from the puppies. It's the only place she can get away from them because they're just bothering her for some milk or to play or for affection, mm. whatever. I feel like football viewers are like, we're like the husky mum on top of that like, kennel. Yeah. And the puppies are like, football, like, watch me, watch me, like, watch me. <laughs> That's how it feels. Just like constant consume, consume, consume. I'm trying to watch the NBA, man. The playoffs are here. Go Pacers. And they're good. The playoffs are really yeah. tasty as well. 1-0 down to the heat already. They don't say nil, do they really? In, uh, no. In the NBA. The, I do though. I on the playoffs because they are tasty. Yeah, everything's back. Yeah, everything's back. Apart from my moustache, which will be back before the next podcast. It's No, in fairness, in fairness, it's looking strong. Okay. <laughs> don't talk to you. We're done. We're out of here. We're, 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 we're running done. long. We're we're don't done. need this. Running don't long. need to hear this. <laughs> <laughs> Should we get out of here? Yeah, let's do it. Thanks to everyone who sent in questions. Hope you enjoy the Europa League final and the Champions League final and hopefully the Women's Champions League quarterfinals as well. We'll be watching them. We hope everyone's staying safe and well, staying hydrated, as Musa would say. Absolutely. Don't forget to check the ringer.com forward slash soccer. Uh, that piece about manager sartorial nonsense will probably be up by the time you listen to this. I'm going to try and do another piece before the Champions League final. Check us on Twitter at Stadio at Stadio Football on Instagram. Uh, anything else, Musa? No, I think the hydration needs are taken care of. Uh, all mm-hmm. directives are pretty. Sorry, I, was just, I, I, I said your line. No, it's fine. It's fine. Like, stay hydrated is all good. Yeah.
just enjoy the weekend. So much great football on. If you can, recharge those batteries. And one last message specifically to like UK, A-level and GCSE students. We know you've been going through it. We see you. We know it's been a tough time. Much love. Whatever you're up to, whatever your plans are next, best of luck. And thank you for listening to us. We really appreciate it. Yeah, and that's good. We're playing out on Jeffrey Landers' Say You'll Say So. Shout out to the brilliant music from Memory Label based in Amsterdam. Go check the Stadio Outros playlist on Spotify. Just search Stadio Outros. You can find all the stuff we play out on in a nice playlist. Newest one at the top. That's it. Have a good weekend, everyone. We'll be back Monday. Take care. Oh